40% of launches are not hitting expectations. And this trend holds out between established pharma companies and also the smaller ones. And so it's just kind of like raising this question of what's happening, what's going wrong. Our customers have moved. They've moved how they learn, they've moved where they get information, they've moved how they make decisions, and they continue to move. I think we thought there'd be a new normal post-pandemic, but there's not. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the ZS Associates Insight Global Pharma Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Curtis. Today, we're talking about launches. More specifically, what's going wrong and what to do about it. We recently did an analysis that showed that up to 40% of global launches failed to meet expectations. And at a time when many of our current blockbusters are facing patent cliffs, the need for each launch to deliver really is essential. So as we're moving into this new era of global launches, when it's really hard to achieve the same heights of blockbusters and their opportunities are more smaller and fragmented, we're really needing to figure out how do we do the most with the compressed resources and really realize the full potential of a launch. Today, we're asking the question, how do pharma companies need to evolve the way they think about and perform global launches? Joining me for today's discussion is my colleague, Maria Whitman. Maria, it's great to have you. Thanks, Jen. I'm really looking forward to this. Great. Well, can you share a bit of your background with the audience? I am currently the global head of pharmaceutical and biotech here at ZS, and I've been in the industry for over 20 years and worked globally on many, many, many launches across different disease areas. I'm also the host of our newest podcast, Transforming Biopharma by ZS, which I hope to have you on someday as well. Great. Well, thanks for joining. As I mentioned, I'm excited to have another podcast join our, our ZS family of podcasts. One of the main reasons I thought you would be the perfect person to talk to about this is we obviously just collaborated on our article about the next era of global launches. And there are just so many different trends and directions we can go in. But I know, you know, as the head of our pharma vertical, this is a topic that you get asked all the time. So companies of all sizes are really saying, like, how do we do this better? What do you think is really driving that interest? Well, you said it up front, you know, we are seeing a lot less launches performing to analyst expectations than ever, about 40% overall. And no matter which category you slice it into, I did a study a few years ago that even rare disease launches 30% of the time are not meeting expectations. So that's a huge part of it. I think that pharma is also realizing that the economic pressures and the ways we've historically done things are not suited for the future we're headed with new molecules, new assets, new platforms that we're launching. So what do I mean by that? First, there is a looming patent cliff. It is $230 billion just from the top 10 of worldwide sales. That's about half of the sales of the top 10 pharma companies by 2030. And why is that significant? We've been through this before. It's significant because the science isn't there to save us this time in the same way. When this happened before, you know, small molecules were going off patent, large molecules were coming up behind it, biologics that are the ones that are now going off patent today. And it's not to say we don't have great innovation following it, but the great innovation that we have are things like cell and gene therapies, which are very different margin profiles, very different structures and infrastructure needed in global systems to make them work. So it's not the same revenue model that we've historically had. The second part of what I started to talk about is this reality that as one of my clients said in a recent Voice of the Customer engagement story I did across large pharma, they said that we have to deindustrialize our business model. We've come 
to a point where we've gotten used to Blockbuster, we've gotten used to a very linear process of how we do things, including launches. And we must step back and figure out how do we become more agile and adjust to the individual nature of any one product in any one market, given any one set of capabilities that we have. It's such an interesting point that you raise, right? There are these market dynamics that are going on. There's this looming patent cliff that's, you know, all these revenues are at risk. But to your point, we've always faced that in the past. There have been different eras, and that's really kind of forced us to evolve. And actually, the current model that we're in now reflects that, right? This hyper focus on specialized, smaller populations, biologics. And so, kind of, there is this natural progression that happens that forces us to rethink these models. But I think to your point, what is interesting, and you'd mentioned that stat, is that when we looked at it, 40% of launches are not hitting expectations. And this trend holds out between established pharma companies and also the smaller ones. And so it's just kind of like raising this question of what's happening, what's going wrong. And we know that the trajectory that you set at launch really kind of dictates your future, particularly, you know, most launches happen in the U.S. Well, the U.S. launch is very closely correlated to what happens in other geographies. So there's just something systemic that's at play here. So kind of curious, you mentioned that as we look ahead to kind of the next wave and and some of the challenges that we're facing, like how are you characterizing what's the root cause of this and how are we starting to, what do we need to reframe the way that we're thinking about this? That's a great question. And I wish there was a silver bullet answer you know, to, to what's causing it, because it is very different across dif- different categories. I think in some cases, our customers have moved. They've moved how they learn. They've moved where they get information. They've moved how they make decisions. And they continue to move. I think we thought there'd be a new normal post-pandemic, but there's not. And so part of it is just, you know, are we in our classical views of patient journeys really understanding where they are now and how they've shifted their decision-making? Second part of it is the window of relevance has shrunk dramatically. If you look across most historic categories, the time between competitive assets and then the time to truly differentiate from another asset has has tremendously decreased. And while we have a lot of hope and opportunity in real world evidence and the kinds of additional evidence it can bring to support your product in certain patient populations, then that is not quite there yet. And so we're at a point where at launch, you have to find that and you have to very quickly establish that differentiation. And oftentimes we're still maybe going wider versus more specific as, as we're launching assets in terms of who is best suited for this product and you know how do we really get in and establish use and early experience quickly. Another thing that is going on is the reality that not all use is in control anymore. And and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that another pressure, but I think something that we have to watch for globally is the reality of how governments are making decisions about assets and not only the negotiation from a price perspective, but increasingly from a clinical decision support perspective. And the U.S. is no longer immune to this. In fact, the Inflation Reduction Act just a few weeks ago signed by Biden now opens the door to some set of negotiations in Medicare, it opens the door to to different facets of what's valued in terms of innovation and how that innovation can last in the marketplace. And so I think the window of time to actually recoup your investment, and we've all know that historic, you know, that how you launch is the trajectory you have, that's also shrinking in your most lucrative market, you know, 41% of all revenues globally. So I think there's a lot going on. If you look at some of the cell and gene therapies, since you brought it up, 
I mean, part of the challenge there has been we're fighting against a system that's used to small molecules and biologics. So you're not only delivering a therapeutic with a very, very high bar for meeting the threshold uh, for, for being an active therapeutic for an individual patient, you're also trying to make it maneuver across borders in systems that really are not set up for that type of movement. And you're trying to forecast demand and understand who and where is your population going to be with such limited understanding of what the real opportunity is. And so we've had products launch with way too little capacity to handle the demand. We've had products launch where the demand was well overstated from where the, so I think, like I said, it's going to be very different by asset, but to me, it all comes back down to how well are we mapping the situation and understanding at the root where are patients, where are doctors, what needs to be known to get that early and positive experience, and how are we clearing the path to make that happen? I love that point that you made. I think there are a few really salient themes that stuck out, and I think the one that that stuck out the most for me is around this opportunity, right? Like, what is the realistic opportunity? Not the optimistic opportunity, but really the value that's coming in, and obviously that's really tied to the patient journey and what is needed in a market and also how that changes. I know we recently just published some research around different value drivers of commercial success, you know, and very intuitively in areas where there's high on met need, not a lot of therapies, anything that improves, anything that offers better efficacy is really going to address a need and going to be transformational. And the need for promotional impact is pretty low. But as you start to move that down and you talk about the need to really differentiate where the unmet need is relatively well met, that's when we tend to rely, probably over rely on promotional aspects, right? Absolutely. And you know, one interesting thing, since you brought it up, we're working on a follow-up on that piece around unmet need in particular, because I do think this is another part of the challenge of launches and a mental shift for a lot of our clients in biopharma today is we think of unmet need as the next level of efficacy and safety difference most often. But actually what the research is finding is that in a category that's fairly well covered, if you bring out a new MOA, which theoretically could address an unmet need and efficacy, that actually will not get you the play that you think it will. Unmet need very quickly goes into things like convenience, goes into things that address other parts of a patient's needs, other parts of the process under which they can receive or the dosing, et cetera. It very goes into other parts beyond the efficacy and safety. And the way I've been thinking about this with clients is, you know, years ago, success in launch and in your product revenues was built on efficacy and safety. We have been moving and we are thoroughly into an age of experience that has to complement the efficacy and safety that your product has. But where we're really heading now is also outcomes. And outcomes are not just about the result of that, of what my patient has had, but it's the full package of that experience and the outcome that's achieved in a way that matches to patients' lives every day. And so when we think about launches, I also think it's really important that our people realize that what you may naturally instinctively think is going to be the commercial driver or the success, you know, that's going to get in the minds of physicians about, you know, your efficacy, that that may not be it. And we really have to dig deep and look hard past that as well. We always have to talk about it. But, you know, like we said, there's a window of relevance and other things will be more differentiating sometimes. And it's a fantastic point. And that's where I think this idea of archetyping to really understand what the value is that you're bringing and how that fits in with the market needs is a a really big thing because that gives you a better sense of what is the realistic opportunity and what are the strategic levers we have to play with. And I think kind of related to your point, much more around this idea of like the shift towards experience 
as being something that is valued and a differentiator. You know, one of the questions like I get asked all the time, I'm sure you do as well, is what about the digital first launch, the digital driven? Like, how is that going? How can we do that? And really, whenever I hear that, I think the underlying subtext is how do we cut down on some of the most expensive parts of launch? And basically, you know, and and I think that's a bit missing the point for a variety of reasons. But one of them is particularly around this experience piece, because we know that digital is far from optimized now. And if you're leading with that, the only way to do that is to truly have a customer-focused lens where you're really adapting to their agenda and meeting their needs. But that's really far off from where the industry is now. So I don't know, I'm curious to hear how you answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) This is a big debate, right? Everywhere. And we talk about you know, is this time to kill the rep? And the answer is no, we still need reps. But I I do think there is a place for digital that requires us to recognize that we have moved from a world of push to pull. We have to be where our customers are. And if you if you just step back and you look at the data as to digital friendly HCPs across the world, you know, in the US it's 44%, in Europe it's 31%, in Japan it's 29%. There's a huge proportion of populations and some of them who have historically been no C's in a physical context who are open and willing to digital. I think that the biggest challenge for us in the short term is not do I just launch digitally? I think it's actually how do I better integrate the channels? We talk about omnichannel today but actually I don't think we've achieved omnichannel in its truest capacity because what we really need to be thinking about is how do we centralize what a customer is needing, is pulling, is saying from us, and then deploy whatever channel is relevant on the basis of that. So I think that's one point. I think the second point about digital launches, I do think there are places, again, it all goes back to situation. There are places where a much more heavy digital presence at launch and lead generation or, or connection points can really matter. And where are those places? Well, some of them are where we're unsure of the population. We've had this history of trying to go full decile to everyone (laughs) with our sales reps up front. But if we can isolate out who are the folks who are ready right away and go to them with our whole suite of offerings through our sales rep, that's fine. But what about that next group? Can we act more like other industries and use digital to warm up those leads in a different way so that when the sales rep walks in, it's a translation? The other place I see a, a heavier digital event is places where patients are much more involved in the choice or in the solution. And, you know, of course, you know, you'll go back to rare diseases being a place. But what we're finding, we've been doing a a very large study on the future of health globally um, and connected care in particular. And what we're finding is patients, we're not just saying patients are more engaged in their health because there's more consumable opportunities. They are more engaged in their health digitally because they have options on how to enter the funnel of the patient journey. They can look up Dr. Google, which 89% of Americans do and 70% of those in Asia do. They also are gathering the information that allows them to be drivers in many cases of when do I enter that system to even get a diagnosis? When do I decide that, yes, I I do want to pursue that course of treatment or I want to stay on that course of treatment? And so I do think digital is unlocking a much larger opportunity for us as an industry to both engage with with patients at launch, but then also to bring them into that funnel in a much better time for their disease state and for us to achieve that growth that we're desperately looking for in that early stage. It's an interesting point. And it also ties to this question around how are we scaling globally, right? Because digital is a great enabler for us to truly be able to do that. And I think, you know, the point with the patients that you gave is a great one because most of my work is spent ex-US. 
where patients are becoming a lot more important, uh, recognized as becoming a lot more important and influential and needing to, to have a way to be engaging with them with a much more connected and coordinated digital strategy. So it's definitely like all these things kind of coming together, you know, sees this shift to this wider kind of ecosystem shift in terms of what does launch mean and what does it need to deliver? And I I know you and I have talked about it in the past, and I remember the term you use of like micro launches. Like, how do we <laughs> prepare for these micro launches at a global scale? How would you describe the era of the micro launch? Yeah, it's interesting. I think this is an era of a lot of different types of launches, but micro launch has been a term that's starting to pop up because we are in an era where there are less blockbusters and there are more and increasing consolidated groups of assets we need to launch, whether it's new assets, whether it's new indications, whether it's, you know, in a very short succession. And we need to do them all successfully. And so there's a number of biopharmas that are facing this right now. And so the micro launch is really about, can we do that in an effective way? And the reality is, as we were talking about earlier, the longitudinal process that we have built for launch is not going to allow that to be effective. In some cases, through accelerated approvals, you might have a shorter window to launch. In some cases, you may have three or four in a row, and you have to think about the balance of resourcing across all of them, but still try to get them on that same trajectory and be successful. The other reality is the size of assets generally are getting smaller. So, you know, we talked earlier about blockbusters. So, First of all, blockbusters by themselves are returning less revenue on average. If you look at the previous five years versus current five years, 11% less revenue for blockbusters um, in general than their predecessor blockbusters. And in oncology, it's 47% less. But let's put aside blockbusters for a second. If I just look at oncology assets, you're up to about 76% of assets in the last five years launched are under $400 million assets. That is a huge shift. And when you look ahead, you're going to have less blockbusters and more created blockbusters, as we've seen happen with multiple indications. It's much harder to get there. So how do we take all this information, recognize we're going to have a lot more launches in our hands, either through indications or through the many smaller assets that we are, in fact, developing to fill unmet need? And how do we do that in a realistic way that balances resources? So that's really where this micro launch comes in. And it says we have to do things dramatically differently as an organization if we're going to do that effectively. Thinking about this era of the micro launch, what are the kind of capabilities that organizations need to start evolving in order to be able to compete in this world? We talk about lean launch or agile launch, but I think it's more than that. It's not always doing less, it's doing different things. I think we absolutely need to build on the launch archetypes, but not just geographic archetypes, archetypes of the type of product, the type of situation we're launching into. We have to be using advanced analytics in much more aggressive ways. Most biopharma is building uh, the capabilities in-house, but they're also partnering, and that's a very important thing. But being able to know and predict adoption, being able to, to better use radar assets to understand where patients are and go to be, giving your field and your marketing mix more broadly the right triggers. And um, these are incredibly important to maximizing the value of the resources you're putting forth. I think you also have to think about not only digital, but also on the ground. Are things different that may seem bulky, but actually will accelerate? You know, there's a case recently, we see a lot of countries shifting more to care closer to the patient, you know, and in many cases, care in home. And, you know, 
challenging normal assumptions. Is my IV infusion product, is it going to be best suited just in the centralized locations I'm used to launching into, or do I have to come up with a mobile or an in-home option at launch? Because that's really where the need is and the adoption is. So I think we have to kind of break it down. We have to focus on archetypes and we have to use advanced analytics. We have to try some new things than we've done in the past. And I think the last point of this is we have to learn quickly. I think we've said this for years. We've tried things, you know, in the, in the nature of launch hubs and you can get data back through pulses with customers, but there is a, you know, a new advancement of how do we get feedback quickly from the ground and adjust to it. And that requires not massive decision-making in an ivory tower. It requires a lot more empowerment locally on the ground to make some changes and choices as things are evolving. You know, I'm kind of thinking about that and a lot of some of the shifts that we've seen in global organizations and how they reorganize themselves. And honestly, a lot of reduction of what's typically seen as like a global uh, regional layer in order to facilitate that much more faster, those closest to the customers being able to adapt and meet them where they are at and kind of feed back in. So definitely see that I see one of the challenges in doing that is, is always around compliance as well. Compliance and the perception of data, particularly when you get outside the U.S., but from my experience, yes, it may not be as data rich, but actually there's a lot more that can be done and there are a lot more sources that are available, but it's kind of more shifting organizational mindsets to understand that and to your point, be a bit more like creative problem solvers and agile. Yeah, absolutely. We see the same thing, you know, as we talk about content modulation, right? Large beliefs that we can't do it from an MLR process, from a compliance process, and we're finding ways. I mean, there because we can do it compliantly. You just have to reinvent what that means and how an organization thinks about it. The other thing that you sparked for me is that on the ground in a country, a lot of times when we think about micro launches, I mean, these are very different priorities compared to the book of revenue that you're trying to drive and sustain on the ground today. And I do see an increasing tug and pull between launching in a minimal viable way to get it off the ground, but not losing sight of the products that are in market and that revenue that is required for the geography to achieve. And I think that if I can prompt one other thought shift. It's that the minimum viable product historically has been what you and I were talking about. It's like, you know, a reduced version of what we think launch to be and a reduced version of the resources as we've had them, right? And I think this is an opportunity to redefine for a micro launch for smaller assets that you need to launch in as future, especially as these blockbusters are going off patent, you know, what is minimum viable? Is minimum viable not just less reps, but less reps fully dedicated on places of higher conversion, you know, with digital supplementing that next tier until you're ready? Do you know what I mean? Like, how can we get even more smart about what that MVP looks like so that you can reuse that resource that you have and that time you have most effectively? I think that plays to kind of the bigger question of how is the age of the micro launch going to fundamentally shift our commercial models in the far term, right? Because this is what always triggers us to reevaluate what the best option is or what the future will need. So I don't know, what are your predictions about the far term and how disruptive it will be? I'll give you a prediction about micro launches and then I'll give you a prediction about launch and model overall. I think that my prediction on micro launches is we will get better at them, but we'll get better at them when we stop thinking in a brand centric way 
as organizations, I think we do need to think more portfolio rooted and understand where and how our trade-offs are and understand how to create a portfolio of offerings that then our customers can cling to. And second part of that is organizations have to be focused around how is a customer receiving us and our full portfolio in a B2B way. Right now, the way we've evolved and as we should has been all of this is very brand centric. So I do think that that's a big adjustment. It's adjustment that I actually think we'll see XUS even more in the short term than we will even in the U.S., but it's a global change that needs to be made. On the other side, you know, where do I see launch and models going? Going back to your digital launch question, I don't think it's a question of is a launch uh, field first or digital first. I think we're going to see a dynamic where organizations need to have multiple commercial models of the future that can pair with the types of archetypes of launches they have, some micro launches, some bigger launches, some blockbuster launches, and the specifics of the geography they're in. And so I, I can think of maybe four now, but you know, I'm sure we're working on this now and, and innovating every day. But you know, yes, we will continue to see more traditional models that evolve, you know, a, a field-led approach with a with a hybrid or or digitally enabled rep. We will see digital first launches, um, you know, particularly as you think about categories that are very spread out or where it is, there is a lot of unknown about the who and how. And I think it'll also support areas where uh, maybe not totally digital, but where we have large amounts of, of doctors in the, the primary care space that, you know, for instance, we can't get to um, with our limited budget. We will see marketing-led launches. Now, this is a bit tough for the industry to hear because we're very sales-focused, but, you know, if, if you step back and you look at what happens outside of, of the biopharma industry, you know, there is a lot more focus on this concept of leads and lead generation and training triggering, um, you know, from marketing where and how and who and with what messages to go to. We're getting there technically from a last mile perspective as an industry, but I, I do think we can move that chain up and be even more strategic about how we approach uh, certain types of launches. And then lastly, I think we'll see some that are genuinely in that B2B category. We do B2B work now today in some categories more than others, but you can envision a world in the future where some are not launched in the traditional way against all prescribers in as much as it is, the focus is really more in that in that B2B zone where uptake can be can be needed, especially where there's systems of high uh, proximity and clinical decision support across huge swaths of HCPs, which does exist in, in a number of countries emerging, but also even in the U.S. as we see more consolidation will be, will be a reality. So those are some of my predictions, Jenna. I don't know which ones you have. <laughs> Similar to what you're describing, I think there is going to be a much bigger shift to kind of playing bigger, more like what we're calling the, the ecosystem level and particularly XUS. That's probably not surprising when we think about the way healthcare is structured and a lot of national level decision making that happens. But I think what we are starting to see is much more of a focus on starting to to focus there and building relationships there versus the individual physician. So I would imagine that trend will only get stronger and, and to your point will require the ability to employ a variety of different commercial models. I would also bet that that would lead to either more partnerships with a smaller and emerging pharma because it's limited the kind of organizations that can provide a range of options, right? Like we've seen over the past few years an increase in the number of small and emerging pharma companies in particular launching their own assets, particularly in the US. I think it works in today's model, but if we start thinking about having a need to engage a much more diverse customer stakeholder group with a wider value proposition that will naturally start to limit the number of players that will have the scale and ability to partner to do so. So that would be one of my predictions. And I think 
you know, within this, it just, it creates a lot of excitement, but also anxiety around, you know, if I'm sitting in a pharma company, what do I do now? What are, what are the no regret moves given all this uncertainty and all this flux? Like, where do I place my bets now to kind of set myself up, but also make sure I can thrive in the micro launch error? I don't know. What would you recommend to them, Maria? It's a, it's a great question. There's a lot to be done. I think that the first and foremost thing though is it's very hard to push past everything we've known and accumulated as experts in this industry, as marketers about what we think a launch is, but it's a concerted effort that we all have to make to kind of put aside and say that launch playbook that I've historically had, yes, all those things are right, but that's not it anymore. We have to, we have to kind of put that aside. We have to rethink what do we really know and have we mapped out the patient journey in the right way? As we mentioned, our customers have shifted. They continue to shift how they learn, how they make decisions, where they are what they really need to get that first great use and understanding of your product. Also rethinking what our natural instinct would be around what is that unmet need we're really meeting with this. It is in part in the data. It's in part in really understanding that customer and the need. So one size doesn't fit all. I think that is inherently the biggest thing is putting that into mindset and practice. I think the second thing, it comes around this question of how am I going to use my channels most effectively? And I do think there's two thoughts to that. One is there's a no regret move today to try hard to stop thinking about digital and sales as separate, just because we have them oftentimes as separate functions and really think about how can I maximize the effectiveness of that combination at launch, even if it means, and this is the second part, smartly assessing who I go to first with what, using those analytics where I can, but also rather than decreasing sales presence with everybody, you know, really shifting and lifting and trying to figure out how do I maximize that minimum viable product in a different way. Hopefully it's not an MVP, but if it has to be, then how can I do that in a different way? I think the last thing I'd just say is keeping the patient at the center. That is the crux of everything we do. I know XUS, there's not as many options to deploy to the patient uh, as there are in the U.S., but even so, actually, in many countries, you could be even more close to the customer just by virtue of the way they're engaged in the health system. What we have learned emphatically is patients are digitally engaging, and so whether or not you're in a proactive relationship with them, recognizing that they should take an increased amount of your intention, your resourcing, and your energy, and meeting women where they are digitally so that they can make the decision to be at the right place, the right time to put themselves into the funnel, to get the right information, to move forward as their doctor and they discuss. Great. Interesting steps. So remember, one size doesn't fit all really focus on understanding omni-channel and your strategy and how to use analytics to guide you and then keep the patient in the forefront. I think that's often something that I think most companies have that in their saying and motto, but we often forget to put it into practice. So, so good things to keep in mind as we move forward. Well, it was great chatting with you, Maria. I think we could keep going, but um, I think we covered a lot of great ground and I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Jan. It's been a lot of fun. So what does the future for global launches look like? Well, that remains to be seen, but we're eagerly awaiting to see how it goes. If you'd like to learn more about launch trends, you can find it on www.zs.com. That's it for this episode of Inside Global Pharma. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening and until next time.